The idea that play is a really important ingredient in terms of our ability to evolve and grow. I think we take life really seriously at times, especially as entrepreneurs, driven entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, like, ah, we got to, you know, stay focused. We got to get ahead. Da, 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 da. And I've come to find that some of my biggest breakthroughs come when I'm having fun, when I'm playing, when I'm doing things that are just like joyful, spontaneous. And so I would, I would leave that one out there for folks to just be like, huh, where are the places where I could play a little bit more? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Empire Life podcast. I'm Allison Ramsey, your host, and I'm the founder of Empire Life. We support female founders from all around the world to scale their businesses through mentoring and coaching. And today I'm here with Heather Wickman. She's an executive coach and author, and she helps entrepreneurs overcome stubborn roadblocks. And I'll hand it over to her to intro herself a little bit more. <laughs> Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Um, so yeah, I am an author. So I've got a book out right now, which is called The Evolved Executive. The future of work is love and action. And that has been a labor of love over the last several years. So it's fun to have that out in the world. And I am kind of, um, I would say, an accidental entrepreneur. I climbed the corporate ladder for 12 plus years and thought that was my gig. Like I thought that was the thing that I was supposed to do until I kind of had that corporate crack where I was like, oh my God, I cannot do this anymore. And I'm sure you've had many clients in similar situations of, you know, that kind of values alignment, that purpose misalignment that says, okay, the security and safety is nice, but there's this tugging at my heart that says I need to do something different. And so let's see, back in 2015, jumped out on my own and founded Untethered, which is the organization that I run today and started out doing pretty, pretty much traditional executive coaching. And then over the course of seven years and the trajectory of my own life, the focus of this company has shifted a bit. And I found both internally and externally doing executive coaching that we need a little bit more than just kind of our, our, our talk coach interaction. And that oftentimes folks who come to me have been with coaches already, have done the self-help thing, have done the videos, the online courses and need something a little bit more. And so we've developed a growth formula that involves a peak experience. And so we work with horses, so equine facilitated coaching, as well as plant medicine to help people really shift their paradigms and some and uh, kind of catalyze new insight to get over some of these really difficult roadblocks in their life. And so that's a little bit about who I am. I live in Colorado, got four horses, two dogs, two cats, a husband. So it feels like we've, uh, we live on a little zoo here, but I love it. <laughs> and your kids live with you? Did you say kids? We've got eight fur babies. But oh no, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no human kids. So your your fur babies are always coming in and out and always. Oh, it, what I hear you saying too, Heather, is when they go through this peak experience, it's unlocking I'm sure that it's imaginable or invaluable, the kind of yeah roadblocks or traumas that do you have a facilitator who comes in to kind of the reintegration like after they or is that something that you do after they go back and they're in their home and yeah all of those traumas were had started to come up and yeah 
You know, it's a really insightful question because most people think about the peak experience and they're like, wow, that's what I want. And actually the work happens afterwards, after the peak experience is, is complete. And that is where the majority of my work comes in. So we partner with individuals if it's like plant medicine um, to facilitate that process. I'm by no means trained in that space. Um, we, we don't tend to get a lot of clients that are deeply working on trauma um, just to make that a clarification, um, it's more about the entrepreneurs and executives who are who are a little bit stuck and wanting to work on something in their more professional life. So a big career transition, um, a massive shift from how they lead. Um, maybe they're wanting to get out of corporate, like my story, and go into the entrepreneurial way, but are butting up against a fear, a limitation, an assumption that they can't. And so these peak experiences, exactly like you mentioned, you know, they kind of, they're, they're the kick in the pants. They're this catalyst that shows you something about yourself that you didn't know before. And it's the integration process afterwards that is most important because you can have the aha, like a mentor said to me, you, you know, the aha is cheap. It's the work afterwards where you try to integrate the change into your life and into your leadership that actually matters. And so that's where the bulk of our work comes in is how do you actually make those insights, um, revelations? And sometimes we are healing elements of uh, trauma. How do we allow those things to be embodied in our life so that we can show up differently in the ways that we want? Yes, I I agree with all of those and the reintegration. I've had a lot of clients mention to me about some of those peak experiences. I've had some myself with going to a great event or yeah. having some sort of plant medicine, um, not the exact ones that you were talking about. And then how does this, how can I then implement this into my life? Right. And because it, you can go to an amazing event and be around founders right. or incredible people. Then when you come back, if you don't make the effort to stay in touch with them or see how you can support them, or yeah. take what you've learned and imply, apply that to your business. It it's kind of like you you could you're never gonna find what you're looking for. You can just keep going to event after yeah. event and exactly yeah. And but, that's similar here. Like people just want to do peak experience after peak experience, and we're like, wait, 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 wait. Like, how have you done integrating the last peak experience? Because that usually tells you where the work needs to happen. It's true. It's that work. Well, I was going to say too, for me personally, with my money mindset, that it's always evolving. I'll say that. And I talked a lot about it in the chapter in our best-selling book, Redefine, because it, I bumped up against, I guess we could also call them limiting beliefs, yeah. maybe not trauma, so to speak. Yeah. Some some people, maybe their trauma, trauma or there's traumatic stories within those limiting beliefs and like, what are people that are going to think about me if I become really big or as big as I can be and I keep evolving and growing? How are, am I going to lose some friendships or yeah. respect of the people that I love? Are they going to think certain things about me? All, right. all those questions and yeah. fear, fears, like you were saying, start to come yeah. up. I mean, that leads us to our <laughs> one of our questions is like, how <laughs> do you, I mean, do you personally, when you have those fears and challenges come up how do you yeah. overcome those and for example when I was 
guiding the women who are featured in my book, I really wanted their stories to be crafted in a way that they were not the victim in the story, even if Mm -hmm. they felt like that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And they were targeted, perhaps, and maybe taken advantage of in some of the stories. Uh, They as they progressed through the story that they were able to shape it to say, what did I learn from this? How am I Mm -hmm. grateful for this person? Even if they showed me that they were a horrible person and I don't ever want to talk to them again, for example, yet how, how did this lead me to where I am now and shape my life that I can look back on it and say, actually, I needed to meet that person right go through this experience and i'm so grateful if they were reading this they would know i forgave them and i have gratitude towards this experience and i'm a stronger better person like Mm -hmm. how do you how do you do that personally yeah it's you're speaking to in my mind what is kind of that heroine's journey of going from kind of the dark night of the soul to finding your empowered self on the other side and probably similar to many of the women you spoke to in your book, I've I've been through my fair share of obstacles. Um, and, you know, all of the limiting beliefs that you just mentioned about the fears that show up when we think about, you know, what would happen if I was as big as my dreams or what would happen if I showed up as, as my truest authentic self? Those are all things that I have had to work through and am working through continuously. I wish I could say that I'm done, but I'm not. Um The biggest part for me is gaining awareness of what the belief is. And so the process that we use with the coach, with our clients is, is the process that I use for myself. And so whenever I'm butting up against something that feels really, you know, in your body, it just feels like it, it's, um, it's tight and it's constricted and it's frustrated and you just can't move past it. I end up having to do our immunity to change process, which is, you know, what is the thing that I'm trying to get better at? I'll give you an example of um, being the most authentic version of myself. And so transitioning from a more traditional executive coach to this executive coach that works with their clients and horses or clients and plants is, is kind of a, a pretty big variation from your traditional coaching route. And I had all of these stories in my mind about, oh, you know, what people would think about me if I told them that I was actually working with horses and working with plant medicine, you know, they would think that I'm crazy that, you know, I'm, I've gone off the deep end and now I'm into crazy drugs and, you know, that I'm just kind of off my rocker in some way, shape or form. And this was a really challenging thing for me to do so much so that I was doing this work kind of underneath without telling people about it, you know, people would find out from word of mouth, but I wasn't talking about it on social media, all of these things until one day I was having a conversation with a colleague and I was just like, F it. I don't know what, what language I can use here. So we'll you just can use all, all of it. I always <laughs> okay. say not for kids. Cause I yeah. like to test. <laughs> I was just like, fuck it. Like, yeah. this is who I am. And what's going to happen if I actually say like, I've taken a pivot in my career and I'm now working on peak experiences where, you know, we dive really deep into some of the, the emotional and vulnerable places that we don't normally do in executive coaching. And it was in that moment that I was like, why was I so afraid of that? You know? And so I think 
um, one of the things that I do is really try to unpack the stories that I have, these limiting beliefs and where do they come from and what do they sound like and what do they feel like in my body and allow them to just be seen. Okay, these are the things I'm scared of. And then usually I try to, these safe to try experiments, where can I try to do something a little bit different? In that situation, it just kind of came out in, in, I think, a ball of frustration. I was just like, blah, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> Right. And then you get to go back and be like, oh, that wasn't so scary. And, you know, a few people were like, you're doing what? Like, help me understand what you're up to these days. But for the vast majority, people don't care. They don't care. You know, they're so into their own story and what they're up to that they don't they don't care what you're doing at the end of the day. And so that's kind of one example of, you know, the ways in which I have to continually keep check of the stories and the narratives that I have going on in my mind. The narratives, that's a really powerful word yeah. because even some, a lot of times or I've in my own personal life, I feel I'm constantly unfolding or unraveling narratives that other people have about me within my oh, family. Sure. I mean, it's, yeah. it's especially with people that are really close to you yeah. and these narratives that have been placed upon us for a lot of our lives. Mm-hmm. And then we start to or I, I'm really inquisitive and I start to ask myself, is, does that narrative really fit me? Yeah. Or is that a story that has made other people feel more comfortable to put yeah. me in that box? <laughs> yeah. But it's not really me. Yeah, absolutely. I think and that's I'm, everywhere. I have a, a teenager and some of those narratives are also put onto her and yeah. she it's stopping or the buck stops with her most of the time. With, related with her grandparents if they say something she can she has really good words to be able to say I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that oh good for I'm gonna stop you right there and then she'll <laughs> talk to me about it later and ask me where where did that come from right I've never even heard anything I've never heard you say anything like xyz yeah where did this story originate because yeah. it's a narrative, as you're saying, or a story. Mm-hmm. Sometimes makes others more comfortable to put somebody or something into a box and right. then put it away and, and never really think about it again. And when we start to take those boxes out and unravel all the stories, we then can make our own book, right? Our own story, our own narrative that is mm-hmm. more true to ourselves and who we really are. And I love that your daughter's doing it. What a great model. Yes. (laughs) No more generational traumas. Let's let's stop. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There's quite a few that I have intentionally wanted to end with with her or with with me having kids or the next generation. Mm -hmm. And I want to move on to the next question too. It's a little different than the challenges are a little bit lighter of what do you feel like is the best morning routine? This question comes up a lot for me and it's really, (laughs) I mean, personally, it's really varied for me. It depends Mm on I'm taking my daughter to school or if I I try to do moisturizer now and wash (laughs) my face. (laughs) That's a big step. That is, this is kind of a fun question because I've, I've struggled with this myself and it relates to the stories of like what entrepreneurs should do, you know, what is a good entrepreneur and what does their day look like? And maybe I should do that. And I did a a really great 
uh, kind of mastermind this year and they had a very prescribed what your morning should look like routine. And it related to, you know, doing the most important things first and all this kind of thing. And at the end of the day, um, I've come to a place where I think every entrepreneur, every individual needs to answer that question themselves because, you know, I feel like similarly, I have several different routines that show up for me, depending where I'm at. If my mind is running, you know, if I'm, I'm in a fearful story or if I have, you know, something stressful that's coming up that day, you know, I may need to start with time with my horses, meditating, you know, finding a way to really ground and move that energy so that I don't show up in a really nervous kind of strange, ungrounded way. But then there's other days where, you know, I am feeling like really good. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go on a run today. I'm going to move my body. I'm going to get those creative juices running. And then other days I start by journaling, you know? And so for me, the most important thing is to really get in touch with where am I in that morning and then follow that lead versus trying to do something from a really prescribed way in which works well in someone else's life. I don't think that's the answer for everyone, but um, that seems like the best thing for me, at least. Honestly, what you're describing, I know that, or I feel that a person can have masculine and feminine energies within themselves, mm -hmm, 100%. but from primarily supporting women or female identifying women that that feminine energy is about allowing when we wake up, like allowing ourselves the space and what do I need today? Right. Do I need to sleep another hour and yeah. not feel bad about it? Right. I mean, those are the kind of questions I ask myself when I wake up. Do I need a little bit more sleep? Uh, do I need to eat right away? Do I need a protein shake this morning? Do I need to work out? Do I need to instead do some meditation and stretch? Mm -hmm. Is that's about it? And I still have to process letting go of that guilt sometimes, mm -hmm. like you, like you said. If I want to wake up by a certain time, but then. I didn't sleep well the night before and I allow myself to sleep a little bit longer. I still have the residual guilt sure. sometimes. And yeah. I got to let that go because <laughs> that's like flowing into the day and, and starting off the day. Or if we are feeling tired, like over overwhelmed or something comes up, having the grace to reschedule I think it's, mm. it's still, it's a big challenge for me to even just allow myself. I overthink it. And I think the other person's going to All right. be upset or react. And in fact, if they did react in a negative way, that just tells me more feedback about them, not necessarily. I, so when I do have those moments that I have a good morning routine or I allow myself to flow into it, I try to celebrate that. Yeah. Because I think we probably can tend to be too hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I really love the distinction you called out around the feminine energy versus the masculine energy. Interestingly enough, the the course that I did was three guys. They were leading it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I do find in the, the, the feminine energy, it's much more of that intuitive kind of co-creative space. And so I love how you described that of you know, allowing whatever needs to be to be and not guilting ourselves and calling ourselves bad or whatever it might be when we make the decision to follow that. Yes. And when you were talking, um, I, I immediately 
new intuitively okay the, these were men leading it <laughs> <laughs> this is very masculine yeah because, like, 100% telling someone this is the recipe and you just do this like you're gonna just you're just like gonna go after the day you're just like gonna woo you know it's like well and you know because even my uh fiance is really in his healthy masculine and he says things to me like that like we're I'm gonna do this and and it does work for him. 100%. But like Agreed. that recipe, mm-hmm. like you said, doesn't work for everybody. It's a great starting point. It's a great mm-hmm. recommendation. <laughs> but doesn't necessarily guarantee. Right. It might Give actually it a be a, de- a detriment if mm-hmm. that is not, if someone needed a slower morning or needed to meditate or stretch or pray or how, you know, be, be right. with themselves. It may not allow space for that. Agreed. That's a great takeaway to mm-hmm. allow space for yourself what, and or asking yourself the question, what is it that's going to support me the most Right. starting my day? Mm-hmm. And I, I really want to get to the next few questions. Uh, this is kind of similar to the challenge. Like, what mm-hmm. do you, what do you do when you feel like you have resistance coming up? <laughs> is that maybe spend time with your horses or in quiet time or journaling yeah the the most authentic answer is that I fight like my immediate response when I feel resistance is that I push up against it and I know we're we're not in a coaching conversation so for anyone listening that's not the thing that you should do (laughs) let's just be really clear but that is my natural instinct when I feel resistance I start to push out against it as well and when I can catch myself um, doing that. It's exactly what you said in terms of the, the the biggest thing that I try to do is just be still. So I've got a practice called consciously connected breathing and it's nothing crazy. It's just connecting your in-breath with your out-breath with no gap on the top or bottom and just try for 10 minutes to breathe because usually my resistance is, again, some kind of a story around how whatever is showing up is going to be bad for me, how it's going to cause me to do more work or something that I don't want to do. And in that 10 minutes of breathing, usually I can unwind that enough to just be like, oh, like this is the the toxicity of my mind at times. Mm. And actually I can kind of reframe this and move forward in a different way. So I find my resistance is... um 90 or resistance, I should say, is 98% my own mind and 2% actually real. And so if I can unwind my mind for at least a little bit, I can kind of release that resistance. It allows you the space to get into the zone to then feel in, feel Mm -hmm. into that. I, when I'm coaching people and in personal relationships too, I find myself asking myself and and them if it comes up with the, I can feel the resistance a lot of times that Mm -hmm. makes sense. I can feel it coming up for someone else. I can feel the change in their energy and I'll ask them, where do you feel like this resistance is coming from? Or maybe if they're not in the space to answer that, where do you feel the resistance in your body right now? For sure. Mm -hmm. And then why do you feel what, or what's the worst that could happen or yeah. what, what are you telling yourself that might happen? 
yeah. related with this? What's the worst that could happen? And where or why do you believe this? Where yeah. is this originating from? Mm-hmm. I don't know. A lot. Well, sometimes there's a lot of tears that that come <laughs> then and for myself yeah. too, when I start yeah. digging deeper. And I love that you brought up the body because our, I think our body helps us understand these situations so well. There's a, a great little mind-body practice that, you know, just like you said, like, where do you feel this resistance in your body? Like, oh, I feel it in my belly, right? It's tight, it's contracted, it's hot, it's whatever it is. And then if I can ask myself, like, okay, what's the emotion there? You know, oftentimes it's whatever, fear, anxiety, frustration, and then what is the message that that part of you would give to you in this moment? And that seems to help me resolve the resistance as well, because that emotion and that body sensation usually bubble up enough inner knowing to be able to understand why am I reacting in such such a crazy ass way in this moment? Yes, there's, I love all of those. Also, what something I asked a client recently was, what are you assuming in this moment? Mm-hmm. What are you assuming to be true about the other person and about yourself? Or can you take a step back and analyze what assumptions you might be making or points mm-hmm. that you might be drawing? And are those really true? Yeah. Sometimes the, a, a lot of times they're not really true, fully true. Mm-hmm. What we assume, um, they, I mean, similarly, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the feelings that you brought up around shifting out of corporate, first of all, and then also shifting into a more uh, unique or I mean, from my point of view, it sets you apart about what you're doing with your coaching. So a more unique or out of the box experience or unorthodox, what, what would you say were, how did you transition in that kind of resistance of I think you phrased it as what are people going to think or mm-hmm. like, where was that coming from internally for you? Yeah. I, I guess it's also like, I should be doing this. What should yeah. I be doing? There were a lot of shoulds in terms of, you know, who I looked up to, who I admired in this field and who I learned from, what were they doing? And it was this reflection of like, oh, I'm not doing that. Or I don't feel drawn to that anymore. And then something must be wrong with me. Um, But when I dug even deeper into that, it was about rejection. You know, my fear of being rejected from my peer group, my fear of being rejected from past clients and rejected might be a little bit strong, but just looked down upon or, um, you know, criticized. I am naturally, I guess, unfortunately, kind of a people pleaser. Like I, I, uh, that's how I was, how I was raised. I've got that Minnesota nice in me and really having to look at that differently in terms of where am I sacrificing myself to please other people or to fit in, in places that I probably don't belong in anymore, regardless. And so those were, those were actually some really dark times for me to dig down into those messy places of um, the places that I didn't accept myself yet, and then be able to um, empower, find the strength and find the courage to kind of step out on my own. And that is your authentic self. That is who you really are. Some of those, what I hear you saying too, is some of those places you had, yeah, you had pushed them down or put layers over them. I'm like, I'll look at that later or mm-hmm. that's not acceptable 
or maybe what were some of the things that you feel like even unconsciously you maybe told yourself when you snuffed out or you were snuffing out those parts of yourself? Yeah, that, you know, it, it, I think it was more along the lines of, well, I, I shouldn't be like that, you mm-hmm. know, because I, I had the great um, honor of training with some really incredible people that, you know, took a keen interest in, in, in how I do my practice. And now I was all of a sudden doing something totally different and something that I didn't know if they would ever approve of. And, you know, so it was, I don't want to look at that. That's too painful. I don't want to like disappoint these people. And so it was definitely um, squashing a part of my authentic self and that emerging, evolving authentic self that I didn't even really know all that well who that person was until I did enough work. It was like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And this is, you know, if, like you said before around, you know, if you had to reschedule on a client, you're going to get really good data from that person around, are they upset or are they like really Absolutely. You do what you need to do. So the same thing was true for me when I finally was like, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. If people then rejected that or felt I can't align with that person or I can't be around that person, you know, that gives me really important data about who, who is around me and potentially who, who no longer needs to be around me. And it's, I would even go as far. I was having a similar conversation with a client the other day about they had a self discovery in that they were not being them, uh, them, their true selves. I'm trying to describe in, in their words, they were for most of their life, they had been a different version of themselves based on who they were around. Yeah. The chameleon. Uh, a chameleon. Yeah. That's a, and there's a few people in my family that probably tend to do that. So sometimes more too. And I was bringing up the point to them that it's even not fair, really, to the people that they're interacting with, because they're probably not fully present if they're not, Mm -hmm. they're not even giving the other person that opportunity to see how amazing they are. And like you said, the data or the feedback of does this person even truly accept me for me? Right. There's a person I really want to be around. They're robbing that person of that opportunity to truly get to know them and then Mm -hmm. walking away from the situation that no one really knows me Mm -hmm. I don't really have any real friends these are things that people have told me too that are when I was younger like how can you just be yourself well why how is that so easy for you I feel like I kind of need to like you're describing chameleon into these different situations because I want people to give me something or I want them to accept me or because it probably always comes back to that of Mm -hmm. I want them to like me or feel love from them and I'm worried that if I am my the true version of myself that I'm not gonna like the data that I get back exactly it's scary it is scary yeah (laughs) I mean I I feel like I came into the world with that trait but it's still, it still can sting, right? When yeah. you have the realization of, wow, this person really doesn't accept me. Mm-hmm. And I can't change that. You cannot. I keep being myself and 
see how that goes, but it, it can still sting even when you come into you. It's part of that letting go. Right. Yeah. Uh, and forgiving yep, and the understanding constant. the constant forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I want to skip to the next question. This is probably my favorite one <laughs> that I ask on all the podcasts yeah. because I think our childhoods have a yeah. lot to do with the trajectory of our lives. And what I mean by that is that I think we all have a core blueprint. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I have my first course in the mastermind is Empire Life Blueprint about the core values that we are essentially born with. And a lot of those stories and narratives are how we were reacting yeah. from that that nature or there's the nurture versus nature the nature that we're all innately born with and that is really an incredible blueprint that somebody else can't replicate like that's just our blueprint yeah and our gifts and Mm -hmm. i was wanting to know a story that or one of the first ones that came to mind that reflects why you do what you do yeah it's um this is a great question because I wish you were there for my like, <laughs> you know, 18 year old graduation because uh, my, my childhood was filled with like, I, I was a little peanut, like I'm still short, petite. And um, when I was seven or eight, my dad got me a horse, Zephyr Blue, who was a three-year-old um, quarter horse. We lived on a, a big farm in a tiny town in Minnesota. And I spent all of my youth on the back of that horse. And so we'd explore all over, you know, different rivers, different valleys, different, you know, forests and groves. And it was a big part of who I was. And I was always like this dirty little kid, like not because my parents didn't clean me, but because I was like, I love to be outdoors. I love to be exploring. I love to be dirty, playing in the mud, playing in the sand, all those kind of things. And then kind of, Um, another part of that was like, I always was in collaborative sports. And so I was in volleyball and basketball and I was always that supporting player. So I was a setter in volleyball and then like a point guard in basketball. And and the role of those is like, how do you set other people up for really good success? So that is who I, who I was at my, my nature, my blueprint, like this animal nature earth baby that loves collaboration and so what did I do like I thought I would be a great idea to like go off into this big city huge school and just do education 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 so I I did like my undergrad my master's and my PhD all within like 10 years climbing the corporate ladder in you know downtown cities so Minneapolis Denver San Francisco got so far away from my roots and my parents were always like what are you doing like we don't understand like this life that you're good for you like keep going but we don't understand it and then you know I'm early 40s I'm 42 now and I'm back at my very roots and so back on a farm I've got our horses the horses are an integral part of our business now we're growing our own food and gardens and all this kind of thing. So I was just like, why didn't I just pay attention to who I was at my very nature and then just follow that lead versus following this idea of what success looked like. So that's kind of um, coming hundred percent full circle back to 
like my eight-year-old self. Your eight-year-old self would look at you now and say, yes, girl, go. (laughs) What took you so long? Yeah, you're doing it. You're living our dream. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's so beautiful. Yeah. Fun story. That is, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And I I was a setter and point guard too. (laughs) I'm, I'm with you. My... My daughter loves volleyball. She's really into that now as well. And she is a libero or a lot of times setter and also libero. Mm -hmm. So that's that's super collaborative too of getting setting the setter up. (laughs) Exactly. Like that is the digging down deep as the foundational player on the team. Absolutely. Yeah. She's just everywhere, all over the court so fast. Love it. And I I wanted to go to the next question of uh, maybe this was one of them of like not forcing not forcing it. Yeah, there is a book that a client was telling me about recently called Power versus Force about uh, really being in our our power mm-hmm. and essentially letting allowing letting things flow rather than pushing and feeling like we're always pushing or for forcing something to happen. Yeah. And I try to stop and breathe like you were talking about a lot of times because I do have that kind of like type A um, challenging challenger personality. I don't know if you know anything about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Like I'm an eight on the Enneagram and an ENTJ and I need to stop myself and ask, is this really, for example, with task, is this a task that I need to be doing? Or is this a task that I can guide a team member in doing? And they may even do it better than me and faster mm-hmm. because that's their expertise and that's why they're on the team. Yeah. And am I, or am I forcing this relationship? Uh, am I forced, am I going to spend too long at this family event in my personal life? Like maybe take a step back and how long do I need to spend there? And, or how long do I need to do certain tasks to go back to business items or is there another task that's going to move the needle forward so that you reminded me of that the power versus force and Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's one of your five (laughs) things but if you were going to start a business today (laughs) like what are the top five things that you feel like you wish that you had known yeah can that one be all five (laughs) (laughs) that one is is I, and I'm living that one, like in this very moment of where am I standing in power versus where am I forcing or pushing the river? And that my husband always says, Heather, just float. Mm. And I think that's just the most beautiful analogy for kind of a really driven achievement minded individual. Like what would happen if you just float? And so that would be the, one of the things that I would say Um, And for me, because I'm going to drive, I'm a doer, I'm a tasker, I'm going to get shit done. But more often than not, you need to take a step back and see like, okay, what's moving? What's not moving? Where is, where is my energy like naturally growing and where's my energy being depleted? And so that power and force is such a huge, huge, huge one. And I don't have it figured out yet, but it's one that's still on my, my list and one that I continue to revisit every year. You know, another one that I would say is that the power of relationships. And I think we spend a lot of time doing so many different things in our businesses that relationships can sometimes take a backseat. 
And this last year for me has all been about, has, has partly been about reconnecting with the, the relationships that are life-giving and the relationships that I can help another person out and they choose to help me out in those kind of reciprocal ways. And that the best way for me, at least to grow, grow in my business is, is those relationship referrals and connections, because then it's like this like-minded synergistic connection from the get-go. So relationships um, along with that would be, you know, work with people that you really love. You know, we we spend a lot of time at work, and so finding the 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 tribe, the crew that you really vibe with, and it's not like all about, you know, rainbows and butterflies. We get along a hundred percent of the time, but can you can you manage through conflict with love and with care? Um, can you have deep discussions and can you further each other? Can you push each other while still remaining in kind of this cohesion? cohesive relationship where you both deeply care about one another and I think that's so important for founders especially I'm sure in your world you you work with folks who have founder issues you know the co-founders end up are being the most difficult relationships so that is one I've played with had to learn the hard way and oh, you same, know, the last same here not to interrupt you uh, yeah, yeah. my second come this is my third company my second one I had a co-founder and I think it gave me confidence to know, okay, I could do this on my own fully. Mm -hmm. And and I thank them for that experience. What I def yeah. it, it definitely was like, I'm doing this by myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. The last one that I would just say is um I would say purpose. And that, you know, my story kind of revolved around doing things in the way that I was taught and the ways that I was was shown versus doing things that was authentically true to who I am and what I see. And so always coming back to, is this, you know, my deepest desire? Is this my heart's desire? Is this my heart's calling? And continue to move in those directions. That's true. I was just asking myself that the other day, because I want to have a more narrow, maybe it's not the best word of the a smaller focus on programs that I feel really called to mm -hmm. do, such as the mastermind that's coming up. I feel really called to lead a group of women through community and scaling together and referrals or resources within that. And I personally want that for myself too. And I yeah. haven't been able to find exactly what I'm looking for as well related mm -hmm. to with what I'm creating but uh, part of me then shifts part of my brain shifts to well what about the women that are just starting out I need five to ten courses for them and I'm like wait but that's not where my <laughs> <laughs> this is just an example that my brain goes there and then uh -huh. I say wait that wouldn't be fair for me to divert my attention away from what my heart is truly calling yeah. me to do for this group of women that I'm creating and but then letting that go, I feel almost, well, what, what happens when my sales team is talking to a, a woman who's in this place over here and what do they offer them? Because I don't want to ever want somebody to leave with no support. Right. Like, does that look like a free PDF or being on the email list? I want something for them. So that's yeah. why my brain goes there. 
And then transitioning of, well, I most of my focus has to be here, though, because this is where my heart is guiding me, like right. you said. I love that. Uh, just a lot of internal conversations, I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs have. Yeah, but the important ones in terms of being able to guide us in the way in which I think we're most uh, beneficial for those we serve. Yes, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. The intention that they feel supported and they have a place in the community, whether right. it's in a, a, a high level, uh, a high-end community or a free right. community. Right. And before we hop off, this is kind of similar to the to the last one where we're yeah. up on time. What are the three concepts that you really want to leave the audience with, Heather? <laughs> That's a tough question. And I'm sure we touched on a lot of them here, but <laughs> I'm going to throw a, a couple new ones at us. And um, this is a relatively new experiment for me. And the idea that play is a really important ingredient in terms of our ability to evolve and grow. I think we take life really seriously at times, especially as entrepreneurs, driven entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, like, ah, we got to, you know, stay focused. We got to get ahead. And I've come to find that some of my biggest breakthroughs come when I'm having fun, when I'm playing, when I'm doing things that are just like joyful, spontaneous. And so I would, I would leave that one out there for folks to just be like, huh, where are the places where I could play a little bit more? Um, I would say the second is near and dear to my heart around where can we um, move from fear and into love? And we talked a lot about the different um, beliefs and assumptions that can get in our way that are often rooted in fear. And so how do we begin to shift those from to a place of that unconditional loyalty and friendship to self? And so that that self and that power of the self can kind of overcome those fears. Um, and the last one that I would say is kind of an interesting one is um, like life is medicine. We're exactly where we need to be. And life will continue to show us the things that we need to get better on, to leverage, to grow into strengths. And so if we can be present to what is all around us every day and find gratitude, I think that's the, the best medicine that we can take. Yes. And, and being fascinated with what is, what is this trying to teach me? Yeah. The situation (laughs) It's maybe not the most fun question to always ask ourselves, but I always feel like I'm, I come back to that. And Mm -hmm. I had a play experience recently. I didn't even know that personal stylists exist in certain stores and that they're actually complimentary. Oh, if you make an appointment to my daughter and I did that recently. And we told them what we were looking for. And so when we got to the store, there was two huge dressing rooms just full of clothes that were our sizes that we could try on. And I'm, it was the most, it was play and it was fun. It was also like, I was sweating because they were like, oh, oh, try this one. <laughs> like we got so into it. And so it was almost like exercise in a sport too at the same time. I love it. I've but never heard of it. The best way I, to shop. I was like, how did I never know about this before? Because a lot of times I walk in and I don't find what I'm looking for. And then yeah. I leave and I end up still not having anything to wear. <laughs> <laughs> Me the, as well. it was incredible and hmm. the personal stylist was for both my daughter and I we had a private room that had a curtain and like two big dressing rooms and a whole rod of clothes 
And then we could say, hey, I want to eat this size or I want this in this color. And she was constantly checking on us and gave us water even. It's a beautiful, (laughs) we're going to do that a few times a year now. That's perfect. How fun. And like you said, it felt like play and it it was also going through, I think, an upper limit. Do I like, I deserve this. Right. I deserve this kind of attention and care mm-hmm. and it's very creative to get into your style and I may not know the latest styles and oh, yeah. she knows the latest styles as that's her job. It was really incredible. How fun. I love that example. And we're going to put also all of your social media links in the show notes. Perfect. So make sure to subscribe to if you're listening to this so you can catch all the latest podcast episodes. And thank you so much, Heather, for being with us today. Uh, Thank you as well. It's been fun.